for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is Dr. Meg Meeker, and I am your host. This is episode number 151. Today, we're going to be talking about sleep, specifically babies and sleep, kids who are under two years of age. We need to do another show on kids who are over two because I've gotten a lot of mail from parents about how to get their four-year-old, their five-year-old to stay in their room. So we'll do that one day. Joining me today is Dr. Bob Hamilton. Dr. Hamilton is a pediatrician. He founded Pacific Ocean Pediatrics in 1996 in Santa Monica, California. He has affiliations with some of the most renowned medical facilities in the world. He is the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn. It's a fabulous book. And he's often called the baby whisper and has been featured in numerous print radio and television shows around the world. This is a guy who really knows his stuff when it comes to babies and sleep. His four-step technique for quieting crying infants known simply as the hold has been a viral sensation since first posting it on YouTube in 2015. Watch the tutorial yourself and you'll see how desperate parents exhaled sighs of relief when they learned the hold and how to get their babies to stop crying. And friends, if after this podcast, you want to talk more about how to get your baby to sleep or just hear other parents talk about sleep and babies, jump into my Parenting Great Kids community and we'll continue the conversation. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Dr. Bob Hamilton. I know you're really going to enjoy this. Well, Dr. Bob, I'm so glad to have you on my show today talking about something that is really going to help a lot of parents, particularly if they have newborns. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Meg. So you wrote a wonderful book a couple of years ago ago called Seven Secrets of the Newborn. And before we dive into those seven secrets, I would like to have you talk to us, if you would, about babies and sleep, because one of the biggest struggles that parents of newborns or kids really in the first year of life have is getting their babies to sleep long periods of time, particularly at night. So if I were a parent sitting in your office and I have a four-month-old who's thriving and doing really well, and I said, my baby won't sleep longer than two or three hours at a time during the day and during at night, what would you say to me? Uh, okay, well, that, you know, Meg, you have actually uh, given me the absolute perfect scenario, which happens pr pretty much on a day daily basis in my office. So what I would do, I would there would be imme immediately some questions I would ask you. Number one, is your baby getting enough to eat? Uh, is, are they are they waking up because they truly are hungry? So if you're breastfeeding completely, I would look at the overall growth curve and see, are they growing and they're thriving? And if they are, okay. I would also want to know um, if you're, you know, if in fact you are, if you created what we call a bedtime, 
Okay. And so babies, uh, they're human beings and they're getting the idea that during the day they're awake and they're eating. And I tell people this, that you want to, when you think of your day, you have a 24 hour period of time, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of break that into two, two units, a daytime where uh, you're awake and I tell you're awake and you're eating. And then a nighttime where you should be sleeping and you should not be eating. So that's kind of what I do as an adult and probably you too. Um, my wife never, uh, Meg, my wife never wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning and says, hey, Bob, do you want any pecan pie? <laughs> really? My husband <laughs> won't ask for something like that every night at three in the morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And you and you oblige him. I, I'm sure you do, I'm, right? Yes, of course. Okay, good. You're a good wife. Uh, anyway, I never have that happen to me, and I think that that I think I'm pretty representative of most other people. We, you know, we go to bed and we don't eat all night long, which is good. And and that's kind of what you want your children to do too. So I usually tell parents, I say, listen, you need to have a conversation with your lovely little three or four month old baby and tell them. Hate to tell you, but you're a human being. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they they usually uh, turn up their nose at that concept. But you you know they're one of us. They're on this earth, and we got to teach them how we do things. So that being said, I tell parents, I say, listen. First of all, you need to nudge your child awake during the day. Now, what that means is this. You're not mean to them. You're not obnoxious, but they can go down and take their naps. And typically by three or four months of age, they're usually taking, you know, two, I would say two minimum, maybe three naps a day. Right. And you can let them go down, maybe even four naps a day. Let them go down at the times that they normally would go down. But you don't let them sleep for three hours at a block during the day. That's too long, in my opinion. You let them sleep maybe two, maybe one and a half to two hours. So Uh, you wake them up. You wake them up if they're going past two hours. You got it. You nudge them. You nudge them awake. And if they're really, truly tired, tired, okay, you let them, you, you know, this is, well, Meg, you know, you're a pediatrician. You know that there are nuances. Every child is different and every situation is a little bit different too, right? Right. And so you kind of get to know your kid, but you don't want them, you, do, you definitely do not want them to be taking long blocks of nap of nap time during the day because you'll pay for that. You'll pay for that at nighttime. Okay, so you're generally keeping them up. And, and listen, you keep children up like you keep everybody up. You, uh, you expose them to light. You take them outside for a walk. You change their diapers. You bathe them. You feed them. There are a lot of things that wake up uh, human beings and uh, babies. And so that's kind of what you do. Um, so that is step number one, by the way, do you agree with all this, Maggie? I do. The one thing I wonder about is that if kids sleep well and for longer periods during the day, I wonder if they sleep better at night, but what you're saying is no, they don't. Cause you know, you always hear never wake a sleeping child. I, I think that they, they, they can. I mean, certainly, yes, I would say the word longer is the thing that bothers me because I do believe that kids who do sleep long periods of time tend to be up longer at night, too. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and certainly newborn babies are oftentimes uh, turned around. They are they oftentimes are very nocturnal. They'll sleep all day long and they'll be up all night long. 
And I tell families, I say, listen, if you want to be nocturnal along with your child, go for it. But most moms... Most parents can't do that, yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. They look at you like, uh, no, this is not, that's not funny, Hamilton. Uh, we want to get our children, you know, on our pattern. And so anyway, but that, that's a newborn situation. You're, you're presenting me with a four-month-old child. So, okay, so going back to our four-month-old child who's thriving and growing. And so number one, keep them up a little bit longer during the day, nudge them awake. And you want to you want them to be awake so you can you know you can enjoy them you can take them to errands or take them to the park or bring them to visit your auntie or whatever you know uh, that's kind of what we do with our children. Okay, then nighttime is a different thing. You do need to establish a healthy bedtime. Okay, and well, let me ask you. Uh, Meg, you're a pediatrician. What is, what is, I'll tell you what it means to me, but what does it mean to you? (laughs) You're the sleep expert. Yeah. A healthy bedtime. I would say for a a four month old, certainly no later than seven, but you know, because it would, it depend and it would depend on the weight also. I'm thinking the baby's probably 13 pounds or so and should be able to go at least seven hours. So if you kind of go back from that um that's what i that's what i would think of yeah and i and i i agree i i'm giving a little more latitude i usually say seven to maybe eight in that period there mm-hmm. but when i'm talking about establishing a bedtime routine we're talking about a first of all it has to be pretty much consistent that's the the challenge you know when you have children you can't you're not quite as uh able to go clubbing okay you have to kind of become you have to kind of bring your children home and you, just, you know that that sense of consistency in their lives yeah. is very very important so you mm-hmm. I, number one you establish a bedtime let's say 7 30 all right well what does that look like well typically for a kid that age you'd want to bathe the child you want to you know change diapers you bathe them i tell people you sing to them you read to them you pray with them you turn down the lights. The, it, darkness does uh, is important. Uh, if you have, you know, clean lights in your in your bedroom, <laughs> turn them mm-hmm. off. Okay, uh, turn down the uh, the the volume of your stereo or you know whatever the music you got playing. And also, you can turn the white noise on. I like. I don't have any problems with white noise. Uh, it does kind of drive me a little bit crazy, frankly, but. You know, for kids, they seem to like it. So that's fine. Okay, so you turn the white noise on, but you establish that kind of routine. All right. And I personally recommend that mommies, if you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding too, you don't let that child actually fall asleep at your breast or on the bottle. You let them, you, right before you, they fall dead weight asleep in your arms. You want them to go down into their bassinet or their crib the word I use is cognizant. They need to be aware of the fact that they're going into their bed mm-hmm. and, and that you're going to be walking out of the room. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that sleep is a learned phenomenon. It, it is something that you, you know, you need to, they need to learn it on their own. And what I tell people, and I'm sure you agree with this, is that if you're not careful, you know, look, kids may need a, their, their lovey. They may need their stuffed toy or whatever, their, you know, their Nana, whatever they call it. And that's perfectly fine in my book. 
But uh, if you become woven into the tapestry of them going to sleep, they're going to need you every time. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that you have you have created this bedtime is a nice, warm, fuzzy time for you and baby and daddy, too, to that, you know, you can sing harmony together if you want to do that. <laughs> and I think, yeah, what was that song? You know, daddy sang bass, mama sang tenor, and all the kids would join right in. Remember that song? I, I don't remember uh, that one, but I'm a, imagining you and your wife sitting in there, you know, rocking one of your kids to sleep. And yeah, don't yeah. let them sleep. Don't let them sleep. <laughs> I wanted to add something. And I, I think that's a critical point. It's very hard for parents because you're so tired. You just want this kid to go to sleep, sneak him into his crib. But I agree with you because, first of all, if you do that, put down baby, sound asleep, he wakes up a couple hours later, looks around, and you're not there, he thinks, what happened? Where'd you go? And and I do agree. The other thing, too, is you want your baby to believe that falling asleep in a crib is a safe place. It's a good place. You know, yeah. they don't, you, they don't need you to be there in order to fall asleep. So I just want to tack those on there because I tell parents that as well. So proceed. Well, you know, so they, the, again, the, the operative word is cognizant uh, that they need to, they need, need to be cognizant that they're going to, into their bed. They're going in independently of you. And actually that they, that you're walking out the door um, because you're right. If you, if they fall asleep at your uh, at your breast uh, and they're dead weight. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. And mothers who have children know exactly what we're talking about. They can tell when their children really does fall into that deep slumber. Uh, if you wait to that point, I mean, it's kind of like I, my example, Meg, is this. Imagine that, you know, well, let me let me back up. When I travel, I, when I wake up in, a, in New York City, okay, well, I, there's a, a moment, it's a nanosecond, but I find that I'm a little bit confused sometimes. I kind of go, you know, where am I? And I remember, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I flew to New York. I took a taxi. I'm in the hotel. Okay, that's why I don't recognize my the room I'm in. <laughs> yeah. okay? and, yeah. But that, that is a thought that kind of goes to my mind um, it, when, I'm, when I'm away from my home. Okay? Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a, a, a phenomenon yep. that happens to you too? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So I, I'm about to make sure that I'm within the range of human uh, <laughs> experiences. Here. Okay. So then, but imagine this, Meg, imagine that I woke up in New York and I had no clue how I got there. I can't remember getting on an airplane. I can't remember getting a, taking a taxi. And I think that, and that, and you talk about confusion. You talk about uh, anxiety that would cause me great anxiety, and you think about children who fall who wake you know fall asleep in your arms, and then they wake up and they're in a in a bed or a crib or whatever, and they go, "Where did she go? Where did right. mommy go?" And uh, obviously, I think that that is, and I'm making this up to a degree because we don't really know, but I would imagine that that would be jarring to a child. And that they cry immediately. And then when they see you, they need you again to go back to sleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I think of it. Um, okay. Are we on the same page? We are. Okay. Let me, let me continue that. So then what I do is 
uh, we're not done yet, Meg. This is this is work. No, no, no. So I'm 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 sitting here thinking that I'm the mom, and I want to just fire some questions at you. So keep on going. Okay. So let me let me finish my scenario. Okay. So when you when you have a four month old child or a five month old child, whatever, I typically say between four and five months of age, you do this to sleep train a child. It's an effort, and right around that time, four months is really the perfect. It's really the perfect time to do it because they can handle it. Some people say earlier, I know that there are plenty of very good people who say, no, three months is even fine too. I, I'm not gonna argue at that point. I say four months because I'm kind of a, I'm a California, I'm a, you know, I'm a wimp out here in California. <laughs> yeah. no, that's good. Okay. We're mellow here in California, mellower, yeah. I guess. Anyway, so I, I tell people, I say, okay, uh, listen, you put your child down. They may immediately, when you, when they, are down and they look at you walking out of the room, they'll probably cry. And crying is okay. Or scream, okay. scream. Scream, uh, yes, that, that happens too. So they cry, I, I tell people, you shut the door and let them cry for three to five minutes, okay? By the, by, by the clock, okay? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need the moral support of your husband or your wife to do this. And because it's hard to listen to a, a kid scream, as you say, uh, for that period of time, right? But you let them cry for three to five minutes. If they're still crying intensely, and they usually do, you go back. I believe it. Here's what I do. I go back into them and I actually pick them up, have the mothers pick up the, up the baby, hold the baby, uh, change a diaper if you need to. If mothers want to breastfeed again or bottle feed again, that's fine too. But again, you bring that baby down to that state of uh, drowsiness again. Okay, that can take mm -hmm. a while. This is real work. Um, but again, after you calm your baby down, and by the way, I, I believe that mothers, you know, some people say, don't pick your baby up. I say it kind of goes against the grain that maternal grain of just watching your baby cry in a bed. I think that most mothers are is deep in your DNA, Meg, uh, for women mm -hmm. to want to pick up their baby and comfort their baby. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that going against that grain is a transgression. Mm -hmm. I don't. I think you, mothers can pick up the child, again, bring them, uh, calm them down to that state of drowsiness again, and then you put them back in the crib again, and then you walk out of the room. Okay, well, again, they may, they may flip out and they may start screaming again. And I let them cry again for three to five minutes. And then I go back into them, pick them up. And I, and I do this whole thing. I go three to five minutes, three times in a row. Then I go seven to 10 minutes, three times in a row. And then 12 to 15 thereafter. Okay, mm -hmm. and this is how you sleep. This is formal sleep training here. Now, children, when you begin this program, they'll cry. I mean, you can, some kids will good, cry for a good half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour. That's rare, but it can happen. But mm -hmm. what I find, and I tell parents, you just have to be willing to kind of do the heavy lifting here if you want to sleep train, train your child. So if you do this like for three or four nights in a row, what I find is that night number one, they cry for maybe, say, 20, 25 minutes. Okay. You know, you have to deal with it. Night number two, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Night number three, five minutes. Night number four, 
one minute, two minutes. And ultimately you're going to have a child where you can, you do the whole bedtime routine. You, you say, okay, honey, we're going to put you to bed. They look up at you and then they go, yeah, and they kind of moan and cry for a minute. They go to sleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you want because mothers, um, listen, babies need to sleep, but you know what, Meg? And you know this to be true. Mothers need to sleep too. Oh, you know, I believe that one of the biggest blocks to great parenting is fatigue in parents. They're just exhausted. And I think that mothers feel that they need to really respond to their baby's beck and call. And it doesn't matter what they're getting. All it matters is that their baby is comfortable all the time and not crying. But I say, look, if you're sleep deprived, you're not as healthy of a mother and is nice to be around as if you've gotten good sleep. So it's really better for your baby if you're, if you've gotten enough sleep during the day and you're happier and you're not so short tempered. So I love hearing you say this because there's so many mothers that even by the baby's one year of age, getting up two, three times a night, feeding baby, rocking baby and say, well, that's just what they want. They want me, they need me. And I say, but no, they need you healthy and not short tempered during the day. So this is a, a literal training process. And I love that you do this because I think a lot of parents, when they have a newborn think, my baby will just naturally fall into this rhythm of sleeping seven, eight, nine hours a night. And I think that's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. What do you see? I, I see that I, I do. Uh, there are parents who say, listen, my baby just naturally kind of fell asleep and it was, it was a very easy process. I do find those are the exception to uh, to normal other kids. You know, most kids make you work for it. And I think that you know, I think it's important to realize that this is a a process, and it does require it requires an effort. And uh, for people uh, who do it, they're rewarded unbelievably. Okay, because if if you like, I say, I, I actually I tell people all the time that I worry more about mothers than I do about their children. Children. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mothers uh, are the ones who uh, do all the heavy lifting. I mean, father, yes, fathers are are there too, but I, I, my observation and, and Meg, uh, I've been in practice for 37 years. My observation that mommies are the ones who really do care for the children early on. Mm -hmm. Particularly in the, in the middle of the night, for sure. Um, so let's say that I'm, I'm doing this and if I keep the baby awake off and on during the day, you don't think he'll be more irritable. Sometimes when kids are overtired, they have difficulty sleeping. Have you ever had experienced that if you keep a, a, a young baby up during the day and then they just can't fall asleep at night? Absolutely. I mean, overtiredness is one of the things that you do uh, think about. That typically occur occurs more episodically. For example, if you have a wedding or you have a big birthday party and you bring your young child and everybody in the entire 
we don't do this anymore with COVID, but you know, in the old days, people would, you know, pass the kid around and everybody ooh and, ooh and goo over the child. And the kid gets unbelievable stimulation during the day and doesn't, you know, falls out of the normal nap time routine. Those kids can be truly overstimulated and you have to kind of, that's uh, a, usually a, a kind of a one-off kind of situation. I don't think the kids routinely are overstimulated hopefully not in their day-by-day routines, but certainly in those kind of uh, situations where they, you know, you're traveling or you're kind of thrown off your usual schedule. Yes, hyper, hyper-stimulation, overstimulation uh, can occur, of course. Mm-hmm. So we're still walking along and I'm in your office and I'm a young mom and I say to you, okay, Dr. Bob, that works. I've got the baby to fall asleep, but Baby wakes up between two and three every night, and I'm so tired. All I want to do is go back to sleep. So I grab the baby, run in the room, breastfeed, put him back to bed, and then the same thing at 6 a.m. How do I break that cycle? Okay, so th- this is the, the, the exactly the question that people ask me. And I, and I tell people, okay, we're talking about four to five months of age, right? That you're initially, the number one, I, I have a two-step program. Step number one is getting your child to go to bed at bedtime, mid-evening, by themselves. Okay? That's step number one. Step number two is these middle-of-the-night wake-ups. I usually tell people, and this may sound like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I say, in that situation, respond to them, go go, go get them, change a diaper, feed them, and, and I don't even care if you let them fall asleep in your arms at that point in time be there for them and put them back to their to bed. Okay. That's what I tell people. Now th- my, that advice will change in about a month or two when I begin them on solid food, because I do think that children at four to five months, you know, we talk about the five month regression, four to five month uh, sleep regression is a real thing. And I think that that part of that regression is that children are bona fide hungry. And so there, I, I think, you know, at that point, you know, if you're getting your kid to go down at, uh, 7.30, say, they typically have their longest block of sleep being the first first block that they go down, okay? They, so they may go from 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever, till 2 o'clock, which is a good six-hour block. That's not bad, okay? And if you have to get up at 2 o'clock and, and feed them and what have you, and then they go from 2 to, to 6, that's not a bad night for a new mommy at that, for a kid that age. Um, in my mind. So I don't, I don't, you know, some people would say, well, they don't need to have food at that time. I say, okay, maybe you're right. I don't know for sure, but I, I, I guess I, uh, I give in and I think that it's not unreasonable to do that. The important thing, Meg, is that when babies go down, mothers need to go down. Okay. So if your kid goes down at seven 30, I beg the parents, I say, listen, you need to go down like at 9, 9.30 to, to coincide your sleep time with the baby's sleep time. Because if you, you know, uh, sit and, you know, watch a movie till, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, okay, well, that kid's going to be waking up in two hours. You're going to be thrashed and you're not going to feel good. So you need to really discipline yourself. Uh, mothers need to discipline themselves too. Go down when their child goes down. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dr. Hamilton. We need to take a quick break, but don't 
go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with him. So now my baby's eight months old. They're chubby, they're healthy, they're eating solids, um, taking very consistent, two consistent naps during the day, three hours at a time. Baby goes down very well at 7.30, 2 a.m. comes, 6 a.m. comes, screaming, um, I, I need something. Now, how does mom or dad handle that? Okay, so that... Um... That does that calls for a different uh, my step two part part. Okay, we've done step one. Step one. This sounds like a pretty good kid, really. But step two needs to be now put into force. Okay, so what you do is you don't go go to them at that point in time. You let him cry for three to five minutes. Okay, then and this is really tough because you're this is the middle of the night and you're you're not thinking straight at this time. But if you can do it, here's what you do. You, you let him cry for, you know, three to five minutes, okay? Then you go into the child, you pick them up, you comfort them, you change the diaper, whatever you got to do, what, you know, you give him his lovey, you give him a pacifier if you need to, don't feed him. Don't feed him. Because they're, they may be looking for that comfort food at that point, uh, but I don't recommend feeding them at the middle of the night at that point. You simply, you comfort them, and then you put them back in their, in their crib, it may cry again, okay? And you do exactly what I said before. You let him cry three to five minutes and then go comfort him and pick him up and hold him and, and you know, but don't feed him. That's the big thing. And three to five minutes, three times in a row, seven to 10, three times in a row, and then 12 to 15 thereafter. Um, it's usually, and I'll tell you what, people say, well, they're going to be so hungry in the morning. Okay, that's fine. Because to kind of go back to my initial co comment, is that human beings should be awake and eating during the day. And we want them to be hungry in the morning, right? When they wake up, we want them to have a good, healthy appetite to eat their food. And and people compensate. You know, if, if I don't eat for, uh, my lunch, I'll have, I'll compensate at dinner time, okay? We, we do that. Uh, and those of you who are listening out there who, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, just don't have lunch and see how you feel at dinner. Um, so point is that kids will compensate and what they will do is they will, they will naturally begin to eat a larger volumes of food during the day. And then, and if you don't feed them at night, that secondary gain, if you will, that, that, uh, delightful feeding time is not going to, uh, uh, they, they will not look for that and they'll begin to sleep better. And they, and if you, if you put, if you do this, uh, for honestly, three or four days in a row, your child will oblige you and they'll make it through the night. And probably beg just to back up a little bit. You say an eight-month-old child, that could probably be done at six or seven months of age uh, because really at that point, they're really getting to be big enough to make it through the night without uh, any damage, you know, any uh, problems for them uh, physiologically, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I really love what you said about, um, you know, training them through the night and it only takes three to four nights to do this because it really does work. And one of the things I find is that parents cave after about three nights. I can't do this. I'm up. I'm soothing this baby. So after half an hour, they pick baby up, feed the baby again, say, I'm going to go back. Right. But if you can sort of say, okay, this week, my goal is to get my baby to sleep through the night or at least stay in his crib quietly during the night 
you really can train them, but you've got to be willing just to sort of gut it out. Do eating patterns have anything to do with good quality sleep, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, uh, people who are not sleeping well have a tendency to eat more. They, they graze more. They, and this is a classic, uh, you know, people who are overweight, uh, for example, have a tendency to be poor sleepers. And so they kind of get their, uh, their satiation, their, their, that, that, that sense of, of loss that you feel when you, when you don't get a good night's sleep, you kind of try to fill it up with food. And, and so and that goes for, for kids too, uh, but certainly for adults. So yes. And, and, I think that, um, you know, sleeping is, is really a, a, is critical for everybody and kids who learn how to go to sleep and they have a good, healthy, you know, 11, 12 hours sleep. And, and that happens really very early on in kids' life. If you, if you train them, uh, they're happier kids and they actually, they eat beautifully too. Yep. And they do a whole lot better, a whole lot better in life. Um, as far as development, brain development and, um, you know, physical development as well. Now I have an 18 month old or a two year old and this child doesn't eat in the night, but continues to wake up and demand that I get in there. This is the child that's standing up on the edge of the crib, shaking the bars, <laughs> screaming, get in here. You know, at that time, it's the child's a little old to pick them up, but maybe you do. What do you do in that situation? Okay, well, what I do is I refer them to Meg Meeker. I say, listen, there's a, <laughs> say, there's a lady. At, at which time I say, this kid has got your number and you're not in charge anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's the worst scenario because these kids are, they, they have not been trained or they, and, right. and I got to tell you something, they're miserable. And, and what happens is these parents, they, listen, the 18 month old child has got the willpower of anybody. They're, 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 they'll match you eyeball to eyeball. You know that. And it's, you know, 18 months to two, two years of age, they're making, they really make it tough. So, I mean, my advice is equivalent in terms of them letting them cry it out. And you can, you can go in there and kind of, you know, comfort them, but, Sometimes you just have to let them cry. And, and by the way, friends who are listening out there, you know, teaching children pretty much anything is going to be associated with some crying. Crying is how children react to basically everything. And so you have to be, you have to steal yourself to deal with it. Okay. You can't just, I have people in my practice, rare, thankfully, but who have this concept that children should never cry. It's like, I don't know what universe you're living in, but my experience is that all kids cry, which is why we call them a bunch of crybabies. Okay. That's why, because they're crying all the time. And so you're going to have to deal with some crying, but at 18, 21, 20 months, uh, two years of age, Meg, you got yourself a problem. And this is exactly what we're trying to circumvent by getting children uh, trained earlier. But it, it, it requires... Parents making, I mean, they, they didn't just start waking up at 18 months of age alone. I mean, they were probably waking up at 12 months and 15 months and all along, right? And uh, because they've learned how to do that and they learned that they get a reaction to, from their parents. Absolutely. And I tell parents by that age, 
you know, they're not crying out of a need. They're screaming because they're having a temper tantrum and they're angry at you because you're not coming in and giving them what they want. And so it's, it's really important not to accommodate that. I know that a lot of times, you know, mothers, mothers feel a lot of guilt, no matter what, whether they're working outside the home, whether they're working, you know, whether they're staying home with their kids, it doesn't matter. And I think it's this sense of guilt that they don't want their babies to cry at any age because they feel it's psychologically going to harm them. And this is a child who's going to grow up if mom, you know, does the training at six months, four months that you were talking about, the stepwise approach of letting him cry longer and longer, that it's going to be really harmful to the baby. They have attachment issues. Can you talk to mothers and, and just reassure them that crying is just part of life? You just said that, but it's not necessarily going to tangle the child up into psychological knots where they're going to have to start seeing a therapist when they're three. Yeah, no, that's true, Meg. And I, and I think that moms definitely, let, let's be honest, working moms or moms who are away from their children for long hours kind of feel, they do feel guilty and they feel like, uh, look, I, this may be the only time I get to, to nurture my baby at two o'clock in the morning or whatever. And they, they almost, you know, sometimes in a funny way, they almost look forward to being up with their children at night. Um, and, and because of that sense of guilt that they feel, um, I don't think it's the right way to go about it myself, but, uh, and, these moms, they do create a little bit of a monster. I, I had I had one mother um, came, she had like a six or seven year old child and uh, they were new in my practice and they came in and they said, uh, I said, good to meet you. Uh, and what brings you here today? And she said, well, my child is not sleeping. And I looked at her and this is the, you know, Meg, you can, <laughs> you can visualize a big kid. This kid was, you know, half as, you know, as tall as she was. And I go, mm -hmm. You know, and, and I go, this child right here is not sleeping, you know, and if this child never had any kind of, you know, uh, wasn't autistic or didn't have any other kind of, you know, issues like that. And I, uh, I, I this mother, okay, this it blew my mind. She, this child never slept. And what would happen is this child would wake up routinely multiple times during the night. Ultimately, she would bring the child into her bed and they would sleep together and it was and i looked at this poor mother and i said i don't think i can help you i i, I really don't i mean i i tried my my best to help most people this is one i was overwhelmed with and i, I obviously referred her out but um th th i think that yes guilt does play a very big uh role in this whole thing and i have to say uh Meg, this is kind of for free but this pandemic um has kept working mothers at home. Uh, they haven't been able to go into the office and a lot of moms who would normally be gone a lot during the day are now working from home and they're able to see their children more during the day. And this has been a little bit of a silver lining to this cloud, this pandemic. Yes. Moms and dads are more around for their children, which I, I have to say, I, I'm very happy about. I'm very happy about it as well. I mean, I know it's, it throws everybody off, uh, moms and dads. But I think ultimately, the more time you spend with your child, the better, particularly if you're having difficulties with your child, you need to spend more time, not less time. So let's talk about the four year old 
who is a really good sleeper, goes to bed easily, you know, sleeps 12 hours uh, at night, but periodically will get up and come into mom and dad's bedroom. If that were your child, what would you do? Well, that's a big kid. I mean, and they are, um, they're old enough to really understand their, I mean, a four-year-old child is, a normal four-year-old child is totally conversant. Uh, they understand they're usually potty trained. I mean, they, they, look, these children should like have a job, you know, I mean, they're old enough. <laughs> I, I, okay. Next interview, I'm going to have your kids on. and I'm going to ask them what it was like growing up with you. Where did you start working outside the home? Yeah, right. yeah. No, but, but a four, four-year-old child, I mean, clearly this is an issue of, of disciplining your child. You say, Hey, listen, sorry, kid, you know, you have a bad, I have a bed. You're, you know, this is our bedroom, your mother and I's bedroom, your bedroom's over there, go to bed, you know, and it's just a matter of leading them back. Now, some kids are really belligerent and they, they keep on coming back, coming back and drive parents crazy. But you have to be firm and say, nope, this is not going to happen. Now, I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm talking big here. Uh, but, you know, when, when my wife and we, my wife and I had six children, okay, and I think you know that, Meg. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. I did. All, yeah. all the people out there who are listening to me do not know that. Anyway, we had six. Okay. And and frankly, we were so bloody beat by the end of the day. We had random children wander into our room, climbing into our bed. We didn't know who they were. We didn't know which one it was. And we and we actually were too tired to deal with this. Okay. So we, we would wake up routinely in the morning and have a different grouping of children in the bed, sometimes two or three, sometimes all six of them showed up. I don't know. It was really crazy. Uh, I, I don't recommend that necessarily. Um, it wasn't a very disciplined lifestyle. But anyway, you'll have to, as parents, like some people, you know, if they put the kid to bed and they wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and they climb into bed with them, some parents go, that's fine. I don't care. And I, and I look, I don't walk around knocking on people's doors and saying, Hey, listen, get that kid out of your bed. I don't do that. You know, you, you guys do that back in Michigan. Yes, you do. You walk around and you knock on people's doors. And... <laughs> I didn't hear that part. Okay. I thought you said, do you live in Michigan? No, no. Oh, my, my, my. And, <laughs> okay. you know, and I will often, you know, I recognize the younger parents are probably a lot more tired than you and I are because our homes are quiet at night, we can go. And they're just trying to survive sometimes. So I, I, I encourage them not to beat themselves up. But I do think though, if, if people get anything away from our interview is this, that you need to deliberately train your child at whatever age to say, this week, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get that four month old to to sleep through the night, I'm going to tell my eight-month-old, uh-uh-uh, you're not eating at 3 a.m. And I'm going to tell that four-year-old, no, you go back to bed. And it's hard. I mean, emotionally, it's hard because mothers and many fathers can't stand it when their kids are unhappy. And particularly when you're tired, you can't stand it when your kids are unhappy. But getting through that process that you talked to us about works. And a week or two after you've done it, your life is so much better because 
you're not as tired. And that's why I try to encourage mothers, please, please, please do this because you're miserable if you don't. And you know, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of issues if you're chronically sleep deprived. Amen to that. Really. And, and by the way, going back to my, our, our situation with my wife and I, I, I I'm not, I, I, that's what happened. I don't want to be a, a bloody hypocrite here uh, and, and give you advice that we didn't necessarily follow. I think I would do things differently now as a, as I look at, you know, as I've grown and matured in my pediatric uh, understanding uh, when we were, we were having children, I, I actually wasn't a pediatrician at that point in time. We were had kids young. And so anyway, as I've grown, but um, I can tell you that's the advice I, I give is when a four to five year old kid comes in and say, Hey, listen, no, if you start that, you know, and you do that, they're going to look, they're going to love it. They're going to want to come in every night. And we know that. Yeah. What's nice. It's fun. It's warm. It's cozy. I get it all. And and I, like you was kind of lenient with my kids. We have four kids coming in periodically. And I will tell you, and I think this is not uncommon. Our kids always came to my side of the bed and they (laughs) snuck in because they knew what was going to happen if dad caught them. And, right. you know, and I say to, to moms, don't worry about it. If, if that's what your child is going to respond to, let dad put them back to the bed and say, uh-uh, you're going back to bed because sometimes, you know, we're just really soft, you know, and, and um, usually because we've spent, you know, more time with our kids and so forth. But it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, the whole sleep issue is a really tough thing. And I just really encourage moms and kind of push on mothers a little bit to, to please do this. We only have a few minutes left. You've been very, very gracious with your time, but I do want you to go through, we didn't even talk about seven secrets of the the newborn because your secrets are fabulous. Um, I wish people could see I wish people could see you do this Hamilton hold. I would encourage them to go to YouTube. Why do you think this Hamilton hold works? And can you just sort of describe what it is? Sure. Um, So about five and a half years ago, Meg, I was cajoled by some of my patients that I should, I I have this little technique of of holding children. Basically what you're doing is you're, you're, uh, securing the arms, just swaddling the arms in front of the child. You hold the child at about a 45-degree angle and grab their little bottom, give it a what I call a booty shake, and I shake them up and down and uh, kind of away from me. It looks kind of odd for people who see it for the first time. Um, but by doing that, they really do calm down. And and probably what, you, what you're doing, first of all, kids like to be swaddled. Number two, they like to be moved. And the up and down motion kind of does calm them down. It really works quite well for young children, certainly newborns. Uh, my friend Harvey Karp, who uh, is kind of famous in, for a lot of reasons, but uh, he said, hey, Bob, what you're doing is you're tapping into what they call the calming reflex. And uh, I think it's true. And and so anyway, it works really, really well. And uh, for those, you know, so that was, I did that five and a half years ago after being, you know, bugged by a lot of people to put that on YouTube. I, I did the video and put it up and, and kind of uh, the crazy thing is it really did go viral. I, I was totally unex, unexpected. I, I uh, put it up in one week and within a week I was getting calls from New York. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Oz called me to be on his show. I got to be on Fox and Friends and, and Good Morning America. I did my, I had my 
you know, two minutes of fame back there, which was which was kind of cool. I got met by a limousine and I got driven around like I was a, a hotshot for about 20 minutes. <laughs> it's it kind ended. of fun. You, you're it, treated this way when you go to New York and you're on all these shows and then you show up at uh, at home in your own airport. And nope. And somebody forgets to pick you up. <laughs> that yeah, happened you're... to me once. I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, people, my son was going to pick me up. But anyway, it, it's kind it's kind of fun. It was it was it was actually a delight. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, so that that spurred uh, a publisher back in New York, St. Martin's Press, to ask me to write a book. So I wrote a book. It took me, by the way, it took me a long time to write a book. I'm uh, I'm a pediatrician, not an author. So I did engage a a, a friend of mine uh, to help me write the book. Her name is uh, Sally Collins, and she did a wonderful job. But anyway, I wrote a book called Seven Secrets of the Newborn. And um, I don't know, you want me to run through some of my secrets? Please. Here? Yeah, okay. it would be. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, by the way, the the forward is by is a friend of mine, Patricia Heaton. Patricia mm-hmm. is, uh, you guys will know her from television. She was the wife on Everybody Loves Raymond. And she's a very, she's a comedian. She's hilarious. And she writes a great introduction for me. But anyway, my secrets are number one, you're about to fall desperately in love. I'm not sure that's a secret, but. For new mothers, uh, they I don't think mother new mom, mommies know how incredibly cr- crazy, insanely they're going to fall in love with that their newborn baby, right? Number two is for the first month, baby leads the way. Don't schedule, don't program. Let the, just be, let it be baby uh, guiding you, and it's important. Number three is uh, during the first month, your newborn doesn't need toys, clothes, a stroller, or even a crib. All your baby needs is you. That's an important thing. Your baby doesn't need a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm kind of a non-stuff person in general, but really all they all a baby needs for healthy, normal development is two good parents who love them. Number four, solid and healthy families don't happen by chance. They are created with deliberation. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, uh, being there for your child. I talk about them, you know, talking about teaching them morality going to church and involving them in the community is important. Uh, Number five, secret number five, moms and dads are equally important when raising a baby. Doing it alone, Meg, and I have a lot of moms in my practice, uh, single moms is tough. I I mean, and I, and they don't, they don't, won't deny that. I'm not, I'm not uh, offending anyone by acknowledging that raising a child by yourself is not an easy endeavor. It takes a lot of work to, in, in having a, a, a husband next to you uh, is very important. Uh, number six, uh, no screens for the first year of your child's life. I think that's common sense. Kids need to get off the screens. They're, they're a bane to the culture in general. And number seven is we all need rest, especially new mommies and daddies. And I think that um, uh, that is a, a very important point. We talked about it a lot in terms of sleeping. Actually, I have a bonus secret here. Babies are even more fun than you can imagine, and it's all worth it. So babies, uh, listen, this is our future, and we as a culture need to have children. We're not, we're not having the number of children. We, uh, our numbers are down demog- uh, from a demographic perspective. I think you know that. Uh, so we need to have babies in the world because our babies are tomorrow. They are, and there's there's just nothing like them. Before I let you go, um, I just have two more questions. 
and these weren't available when you and I had our kids, um, not to date us, but everybody knows we're probably older than they are out there. There are so many wonderful sleep contraptions now for kids that you can put some this baby in. It rocks them any way they want. It can play almost any song they want. Um, they can almost regulate temperature if you want. And a lot of parents will put their babies in them to sleep. Yeah. Not in the crib, but in here. Is that good or bad for kids? I, I think it's fine. I, I mean, I don't think there's a problem with that. My, I, I, as I mentioned to you, Harvey Karp has, has uh, uh, invented a thing called the SNOO. S-N-O-O. Have you heard of that device? Where you have not, but. Yeah. Okay. So the baby's basically, they're, they're kind of they're swaddled. And when the baby cries, the, it'll begin to rock them. And is and the louder they cry, the more it rocks them. So it's kind of like it's this very kind of a cool idea, and it works really really well for a lot of uh, families. So uh, look at check it out. It's called the Snoo. But I, I have no problems with these kind of things uh, devices if if they're if the children really do sleep and they get a good healthy sleep. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Awesome. Well, Dr. Robert Hamilton, Dr. Bob, this has been fabulous. And um, I really, really appreciate it. And I assume this is advice you give your own kids in taking care of their babies? I do. I do. do they listen? Well, I mean, listen, uh, you know how it goes. A prophet has no... Uh, <laughs> My uh, kids will seek anybody else's advice but mine. And uh, it's really pretty comical. I, I sometimes think that my kids inherently know what I'm going to say anyway, so they don't they don't necessarily seek my advice. Well, but... that's that that's reassuring. That's yeah. reassuring. My kids know me pretty well anyway, and they yeah. know what I'm going to say, so they don't they don't need to ask. Um, your book is fabulous, Seven Secrets of the Newborn, and I strongly recommend that people read it. Thank you, Meg. Go, Go to go to the, the YouTube site, look at Dr. Bob's Hamilton Hold and buy the book too, because you're gonna learn so much, not just about your baby, but about how to get the baby to sleep and how to help you get more rest at night. Dr. Bob, thanks so much. Been a pleasure, Billy. Thank you, mate. Now on to my points to ponder one. Most babies don't sleep through the night and they need help. You know, most of us wait to see if our baby will automatically sleep through the night, but most kids don't. Since staying in their bed six to eight hours at night is good for their physical health and their brain development, we need to do what we can to get them to sleep. It's hard. When we begin sleep training, we must always remember that as hard as it gets, we're doing it not just for ourselves, but in order to help our babies grow well. Two, healthy babies over four months do not need to eat at night. I know you disagree, but hang on. When we feed babies when they wake up at night, we're training their stomachs to want food every night at a specific time. The first thing we need to do in sleep training is to stop feeding the baby when he wakes up at night and cries. Three, it isn't cruel to allow a baby to cry at night if he isn't frightened or sick. You know, when you learn to tell the difference between a frightened, a sick, or a frustrated cry, you'll hear the angry cry at night. If a baby's sick, he'll cry intensely, and he won't cry every night of the week. 
The same is true with a frightened cry. He'll sound frenetic and his cry will have a higher pitch. Most kids who are sleep training cry because they're mad when you don't feed them or take them out of the crib. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Bob Hamilton, for joining me on today's show. To find out more about Dr. Bob, go to HamiltonBabies.com. That's HamiltonBabies.com. Check out the Hamilton Hold. It's on YouTube. And of course, read his book, Seven Secrets of the Newborn. It's fabulous. And be sure to follow Dr. Bob on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Let's recap my three points to ponder. One, most babies don't, quote, sleep through the night and they need help. Two, healthy babies over four months old do not need to eat at night. Now that's healthy babies. Three, it isn't cruel to allow a baby to cry at night if he isn't frightened or sick. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Mike, producer of Dr. Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. At the end of our podcast, do you wonder, okay, how do I apply this to my life, to my kids? Dr. Meg keeps these discussions going in our brand new Parenting Great Kids community. She gives you answers to issues and clear steps to take to resolve them. Imagine having the ability to ask Dr. Meeker a question about your issues with your kids. Well, now you can. We've created a new Parenting Great Kids community where Dr. Meg answers readers' questions, posts videos on topics, adds a new parenting course monthly, and goes live with you once a month. Don't wrestle with your problems alone. Let Dr. Meg help you. Join us in the new PGK community. For more information, go to meekerparenting.com and look for the PGK community tabs.